God, we thank you for bringing us safely to a new week, and we pray your blessing upon that week. Keep us healthy, grateful, and ever mindful of your blessing in our life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so today we get to look at one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to break it into two different sections. So I'm going to start with verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I eight. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. Okay, just a few quick notes. So this starts out with the serpent already in the garden. And right off the bat, we have really the heart of the problem of evil because Christian theology asserts that God is not the author of sin or the author of evil. And yet God is the creator of this serpent who is in the garden with the man and the woman. We're told that this serpent is very crafty and sneaky. And later, Jesus Jesus will equate this serpent with the devil, but for the purposes of Genesis chapter 3, it is not explicitly stated that this is a Satan who has not been introduced as a character, but rather just a crafty talking serpent. And the serpent essentially does trick Eve, does trick the woman in the sense that this serpent is crafty and dishonest. The serpent asks, did God say you can't have any of these trees? And obviously the serpent knows the answer that this is not true at all, but he or she sets the woman up to basically say, no, we can eat from these trees, but God did say we can't eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden nor can we touch it or we will die. Now, one of the things that just needs to be noted is that God never told Adam and Eve that they could not touch the tree in the middle of the garden, but only that they could not partake of its fruit. And I say that because whether consciously or unconsciously, so often disobedience begins when we make God harsher than God really is. This is a psychological trick happening within Eve's brain. She is convincing herself that God is holding out on her, that God is harsh, that 
God doesn't want them even touching this tree. And certainly anytime we sin or disobey, in order for that to be possible, we have to convince ourselves that what God commands is harsh and not in our best interest. And essentially what the serpent says is, this is not in your best interest. God is the one tricking you. God knows that if you eat of this tree, your eyes are going to be open and you will be like God. And I want you to notice the dual repetition of the word eyes. Your eyes will be opened and how Eve saw that the fruit was a delight to the eyes. Uh, in fact, a better translation of the Hebrew is a lust to the eyes. And so the idea here, the trick that uh, Adam and Eve fall for is the idea that freedom and goodness is about pursuing the lust of our eyes, that this is ultimately what the good life is all about, that it's not about trusting God, but rather about asserting our independence and following the lusts of our eyes. And so uh, Eve takes a piece of this fruit. She then gives some to her husband. The author of Genesis is very clear that Adam is with Eve, that he is not some helpless victim who happens to get a piece of fruit that Eve picks without telling him. The two of them are in cahoots together. He is silent, standing next to Eve the whole time while she talks to the snake. And uh, he is completely 100% complicit in the disobedience. And when they eat, the eyes of both are opened. And for the first time, they know they are naked. Now, they've been naked the whole time. But for the first time, this horrible self-consciousness, this self-alienating way of seeing themselves enters into how they perceive the world. And whereas before, their nakedness was beautiful, it was natural, it was organic, it was spontaneous, it was a metaphorical and literal nakedness, everything was pure and fine. All of a the sudden, they don't want to be seen. There is shame related to their being. And this is at the heart of what the fall is, that there is a need to cover ourselves and hide. And so the story here, uh, it's often called uh, original sin. Uh, we can talk about what that word does and does not mean. But essentially, the fruit of whatever that is, is to live a life where we're hiding from each other, where we're covering ourselves up. What are we told in verse eight? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They hid themselves from each other. All of this is the fruit of their disobedience. And it all starts with the quote unquote original sin of trying to assert their independence from God, stepping away from that place of dependence where the only good they knew was trusting in the Lord's word and wanting to be independent. And we can talk about how that plays out in our lives, in our society, and what that looks like in our everyday life. In the Sunday group, someone said, well, isn't it good to know the difference between good and evil? And we can talk about that. But the answer, of course, is yes, in a fallen world. In a world where good and evil exist, we need to discriminate to know that murder is not good, that lying is not good, that poverty is not good. But Remember, this was the Garden of Eden. 
everything was perfect as it was. And the only good was trusting in the Lord's command, the Lord who would walk with them in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And so this was a different world being portrayed than the one you and I live in. I want you to notice that whenever the Lord calls out to Adam and says, where are you? How Adam hears condemnation. This is really just a question, where are you? But he hears a harsh condemning God and basically says, I'm hiding from you because I'm afraid of you now. This is part of the alteration in consciousness that happens with the fall. God is no longer the benevolent, loving creator who sustains us with our every breath, but someone to be feared and someone to hide from. And so whenever God asks, who told you this? You know, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from this tree? The man, rather than taking responsibility, rather than trusting in the mercy and grace of the Lord, immediately shifts into blame. He says, it's two people's fault. It's the woman's fault and it's your fault. The woman whom you gave me. Do you hear Adam not so subtly blaming God? You've given me a defective partner, right? It's your fault, God. The woman tricked me and you made the woman. So Adam is really trying to step out of blame altogether. And then whenever God asks uh, the woman, you know, what is this that you have done? She immediately says, it's the serpent. The serpent tricked me. And so you have this shift in the world where at the end of Genesis chapter two, you have at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Everyone's in the garden. Everyone's happy. The Lord's walking with them at the time of the evening breeze. But then the crafty serpent comes and basically says, hey, do you really think that what God has set up is in your best interest? Do you really think that this God is good? Do you really think the best way to live is just by obeying his commands? And they think about it and they make God harsher than God actually is. You know, God's not even letting us touch this tree. And they convince themselves that life would be better if they could do it their own way. And whenever they take that metaphorical piece of fruit, that leads to alienation, it leads to shame, it leads to hiding, it leads to blame. Basically, it paints a picture of the world that we all know. So I'm going to go ahead and pause there and we'll see what y'all are thinking about these first few verses of Genesis chapter three. All right, so I'm going to pick back up here with verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you among all the animals, among all the wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. You were dust and to dust, you shall return. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all who live. The Lord God made garments of skins for the man and his wife and clothed them. 
Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. All right, so just a few notes. I encourage you to read these curses not as the punishment of a wrathful God seeking to get even, but rather as descriptive of what it looks like once that fruit has been eaten. And once we live in a world where we have all declared our independence and our desire to know good and evil for ourselves, that this is more descriptive of life in that world than it is God trying to punish us or to get even with us for our offense. And when we look at those consequences, we see a few things. First, there's enmity between the snake and the woman. This can be read on a lot of different levels and has, but the very literal level, there is now a rupture between the animal kingdom and humanity a rupture that hitherto did not exist and one that the prophet Isaiah says will be repaired, right? Whenever you have the lion and the lamb lying down together, that is the enmity between humankind and the animals being restored. But with the fall, there is now a breach in the relationship between Adam and Eve and the animal kingdom. But here they're referring specifically to the snake and we're told that this woman will have offspring and that the snake will strike this person's heel, but that her offspring will crush the serpent's head. In the Christian tradition, this is a prophecy about Jesus who will crush the serpent, but who will suffer a blow to his heel. Basically, this is the beginning of the archetype of the wounded victor. And of course, what is uh, the Christian story, but a God who wins victory on the cross through his wounds. And so you have the introduction of that theme as early as Genesis chapter three, where the offspring of the woman for Christians, that's Jesus, crushes the snake, that's Satan, but the snake still bites his heel, still gets a blow in. And those are the wounds of the crucifixion if you choose to read it that way. The woman is told that childbearing is going to be a lot more difficult now, that her desire will be for her husband, but that the husband will rule over her. Here, the dominion of chapter one has turned into domination. So patriarchy and men ruling over women and all of that from Genesis's perspective, that is the fruit of the fall, but not how God intended it from the beginning. And so this dominion that Adam was given, this dominion that Eve was given has turned into a game of domination. And so you have enmity between humankind and the animals and now you also have the seeds of war uh, within the human family, with Adam now seeking to rule over his wife. At the end of uh, verse 19, we have that verse that we use on Ash Wednesday, you are dust and to dust you shall return. I think it's important to name that this was originally uttered as part of the curse of being kicked out of Eden, but that we have rehabilitated this as opening words for Ash Wednesday because we know that our march through Lent culminates with resurrection. So for us, these words have taken on new meaning because we believe that God raises the dust, but the first time they were uttered, 
is in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 21, God makes garments of skins. These are animal skins. And so this is both beautiful and kind of sad. It's sad because sacrifice, animal sacrifice has now started, right? The enmity between the humans and the animal kingdom uh, has started. Remember in Genesis 1 and 2, no one was allowed to eat animals. They were only allowed to eat that which came from the earth, fruit, vegetables, plants, things like that. But now there's enmity between Eve and the animal kingdom, Adam and the animal kingdom, and the sacrificial system has entered in. And so God makes garments of skins to cover the man and his wife. And so a few things are happening here. At the beginning of this chapter, Adam and Eve, they make loincloths for themselves. They try to cover themselves. Here we have the beginning of the Lord's mercy saying, I will clothe you. And that clothing of your nakedness will be tied to sacrifice. And so not only does that prefigure and foreshadow the sacrificial system of the Hebrew people, but ultimately for Christians, the sacrifice of Jesus, which metaphorically clothes our nakedness. And then uh, we were talking earlier about whether or not the tree of life was forbidden. It wasn't in Genesis 1 and 2. But now God is concerned and does not want them to eat from the tree of life because they have fallen. And the patristics said that it was an act of mercy that God banned them from the tree of life because had they eaten from the tree of life in this condition, they would have been stuck eternally in their fallen state. They would have been like the demons. That's what the patristics said. And so God's act of banishing them from the tree of life is meant to be seen as an act of mercy. God does not want them to eat of the tree in this condition. Something has to happen. Something has to change for them to eat of the tree of life. And in fact, uh, if you read the passage from Revelation, it's like the last chapter in the book of the Bible. I think it's a reading for Easter 7. It talks about how those who have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb now have the right to eat from the tree of life. And so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that does not make an appearance in the book of Revelation because that tree really has no redemptive value. But the tree of life is listed as being in the new Jerusalem. And once humanity has washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and can come before God clean, God basically says, come, I want you to eat from this tree once again. And that's actually how the Bible ends. The Bible begins with God mercifully saying, I'm going to kick you out of the garden. You can't eat from this tree, not in this state. And the whole story ends with God basically saying, come, the gates are open, and you now have a right to eat from the tree of life. And so the tree of life is at the beginning of the Bible as that which we're banished from, and it's at the very end of the Bible as that which we are invited to eat from. So I'll pause there, and we'll see what y'all want to talk about.